When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Film Spotting SVU is presented by Movies on Demand on Cable. Bringing the latest indie movies into your home at the touch of a button. In The Good Neighbor, two high school boys create the illusion of a haunting on an unsuspecting neighbor, played by James Caan, only to realize he's not the easy target they'd expected. It's now a playing on demand. Also playing on demand is Hunt for the Wilder People, the story of a young city kid and his cantankerous foster uncle who go missing in the New Zealand bush, launching a national manhunt. It's now playing on demand the same day as theaters. The latest independent films are ready when you are with movies on demand on cable. The Art House is now in your house. New York City, this is Film Spotting, streaming video unit. I'm Allison Wilmore. And I'm Matt Singer, and on this episode of SBU, we'll be digging deep into Robert Eggers' Puritan horror movie, The Witch. Hey, Matt. Yes, Allison. How long dost thou think our audience would endure should we recordeth this podcast in the English tongue of the film? They are good folk, but fain would I tell thee they wouldst linger twere more than a minute. A minute? I beseech thee, increaseth thine faith in our listeners. Mine faith and my soul belongeth to Black Philip the Goat. Thou speak aright. Giveth us opening break, the segment we do in conjunction with Movies On Demand and Cable, in which we spotlight a few new films that are new on demand. Please keep listening. I promise. No more. Probably. I don't, probably. I don't make that yeah, promise. Yeah, Matt promises nothing. Well, Matt, you've got this section this time. What are you recommending for us? It's just really great timing that I lost my voice. I apologize for that. You can hear I'm a little, a little hoarse, a little laryngitis-y. But it really worked well for the uh, the patriarch of this Puritan family voice, right? I think I got pretty yeah, close. Yeah. I certainly got closer than I would have otherwise. Well, we've got three uh, exciting titles to talk about on opening break. Um, this first one is one I'm looking forward to. Haven't had a chance to see yet, but I actually wasn't that interested until I found out who directed it. And then I was like, oh, wow, I need to see this movie. It is called Goat. It is available now on demand. I'll read you the plot description. Reeling from a terrifying assault over the summer, 19-year-old Brad st- uh, starts college determined to get his life back to normal. His brother, Brett, played by Nick Jonas, is already established on campus with a fraternity that allures Brad with its promise of protection, popularity, and lifelong friendships. Brad is desperate to belong, but as he sets out to join the fraternity, his brothers exhibit reservations, a sentiment that threatens to divide them. As the pledging ritual moves into Hell Week, a rite that promises to usher these unproven boys into manhood, the stakes violently increase with a series of torturous and humiliating events. 
what occurs in the name of brotherhood tests both boys and their relationship in brutal ways. And the director here, I left it for the suspense, is Andrew Neal, who's not a super famous filmmaker, but a guy I like who made the documentary Darkon about the world of LARPing, which was a very fine documentary. And also the, uh, the I guess, found footage movie King Kelly, which was uh, another really interesting little movie about the world of social media, about this sort of self-fashioned social media star. who And webcam girl. Yes, who yep. couldn't stop recording her life on this particularly eventful day, which was a really fascinating movie that I felt like kind of just went very under the radar and didn't really get seen by a lot of people. But I'm glad Andrew Neal gets to keep making movies and... This sounds like something that he could really sink his teeth into. I haven't seen Have you seen it, Allison? I have seen it. And? It is grueling. I mm. mean, it is a long hazing movie, certainly. But I, I think that uh, it's got some nice acting in it. And It's know. not a found footage movie. N- probably not. Probably not. You know, okay. Yeah. All right. Well, that is Goat. It is available now on demand. Next up available also right now on demand is 31. This is the new film from Rob Zombie. And the description I have here says, from the visionary mind of Rob Zombie comes a story of five carnival workers who are kidnapped and forced to fight for their lives against an endless parade of homicidal maniacs. And it sure does sound like a Rob Zombie movie, which can be a, a good or a bad thing. I've really liked some of his movies. I have not enjoyed others. But I'm always sort of interested in what he's doing. Uh, even when I don't really like one of his movies, I'm really bored by them. I feel like every Rob Zombie movie is an event, good or bad. He's a, he's an auteur, certainly. He really is, yeah. he, in, in the purest sense of the term. He absolutely is. So, you know, I can't guarantee that I'm going to like this movie when I see it, but I 100% will see it because I see everything that he does. So this is 31, the numerals, 3-1, directed by Rob Zombie, available now on demand. And finally... A genre film I, can, I can't guarantee you'll like, but I guarantee that I liked it quite a bit when it came out over the summer. It is The Shallows, directed by Hami Sarah, and that's available on demand starting on September 27th. And uh, the plot description of this fine film, and the plot is very important in this film, <laughs> is while surfing, Nancy, played by Blake Lively, finds herself on the feeding ground of a great white shark, Survival becomes the ultimate test of wills, and it is a feature-length girl versus shark movie. Blake Lively versus shark. The shark wants to make her Blake deadly, and I absolutely terrible. Thank you. I thought this movie was just terrific, just a wonderful little B movie. I thought it was incredibly satisfying on its own terms. I thought it was very well made, extremely uh, stylish, even though it's a little, you know, it's literally set in like a, like a little uh, a beach and a tiny island near the beach. Well, it has one of the best ways of visualizing phone usage mm-hmm. that I think a recent movie has. Yes. When a cell phone is a reality of, of our lives, it has figured yes. out a really nice way to put that on screen. Absolutely. And um, not to spoil too much. But uh, Blake Lively also gets a very wonderful sidekick in the movie, a bird sidekick, who she names Steven Seagal, who is hilarious. Agreed. So I really, I really uh, recommend, I know probably you saw the trailers, maybe you were like, oh boy, gotta check it out. Gotta, gotta watch, gotta watch The Shallows, that is available on demand on September 27th. Black Phillips, Sif, you are wicked. Does he really speak to thee? Black 
episode of Film Spotting SVU, we let you pick the subject of our main review by voting on one of three options. And some very talked about movies have been new to streaming recently. We gave you a choice of three of them. The Witch, which is on Amazon Prime. Sicario, which is on Amazon Prime and Hulu. And Zootopia, which is on Netflix. And The Witch took an early lead and hung on to it until the end with over 43% of the vote. The Witch, which premiered at Sundance last year, is not your standard horror film. Written and directed by Robert Eggers, for whom it is his debut, The Witch is set in painstakingly researched New England in the 17th century, in which a Puritan family is exiled from their settlement over religious disagreements and start their own farm in a clearing by a wood. There's the father William and mother Catherine, played by Ralph Innocent and Kate Dickey, and their five children, the oldest of which is their daughter Thomason, played by Anya Taylor-Joy. She's the one who is watching the baby, Samuel, out by the tree line one day when he suddenly and nightmarishly disappears, snatched up by what we're shown is a dark female figure in a cloak, spiriting the child away to a hut in the woods to become ingredients for a spell. In the days that follow, the family splinters under the weight of grief, of the farm failing, of resentment and suspicion between the family members, and of course, the witch. Matt, The Witch has gotten a lot of attention for its period detail and for the way it attempts to get into the mindset of its characters, their era, their particular outlook on life, uh, which makes it a horror film about the supernatural, but also one about Puritanism and about what it's like to go through life with this deep certainty that the devil is active in your day-to-day life and that the most devout of behaviors is still no guarantee that you will not be damned. Samuel, the baby, for instance, is unbaptized. And part of the family's grief comes from the fact that they just believe he is going to hell for this reason. So what do you think of the film's portrayal and use of its character's religion and how its uncertainty kind of matches up with the uncertainty of the lives they're trying to hack out of the wilderness? Mm. I mean, wouldn't everyone start seeing witches in every corner in these circumstances? Uh, they probably would, which is sort of where the movie comes from, right? That I, I saw this movie for the first time last year at Fantastic Fest, and the director, Robert Eggers, was there. And he talked about it, and there's even that um, that caption or whatever that says that it's sort of based on transcripts and things like that in the movie. And he talked about how he tried to <laughs> make this movie accurate, even though it's about, you know, crazy witches, uh, you know, turning babies into like glue, basically, in the woods, which is so horrifying, especially after you have a actual baby <laughs> in your life. But yeah, I think I think that. What's so amazing about this movie is that it both, you know, it feels like almost like a transcript in itself, the language, the look of the movie, but it also feels very nightmarish. It somehow manages to feel like a documentary and a nightmare at the same time. It's like a documentary of a nightmare in some ways that it seems like something a Puritan would fear. This is like the ultimate Puritan's nightmare. Like it's not the witch that we would be afraid of in 2016. This is the witch that a 17th century Puritan would really be afraid of. And I think it really uh, puts you into that mindset in a way that I think few horror movies that I have seen does that effectively. And at the same time, I do think that there are some fascinating parallels with our modern culture that we could talk about later that I think is another reason why the movie is so brilliant and effective is that it has that incredible detail and texture of history 
And yet we can also apply a lot of it to what's going on in our society right now. Yeah. Um, and we'll like designate a spoiler section towards the end sure. of this, where we can talk about the ending in particular. Yeah. And uh, I, I agree. I love this movie. I think one of the things that is so striking about it is how almost alien its culture feels sometimes. Mm. I, I mean, or not alien so much as, as distant and foreign. You know, I, I'm reminded of sometimes when you watch a horror film from another continent and you're watching kind of ghost stories that are not even like watching like the J-horror, you know, going back to revisit J-horror films and you're aware it's a tradition of ghosts that is not right. a, an American Western tradition, you know, and there's something exciting about visiting that and being mm. able to see fears, those kind of fears visualized on screen. Right. And I think that the witch offers the same thing. It offers a world in which there's just like darkness and threat lurking everywhere. Yeah. Like whether it's, it's uh, spiritual or literal, mm. but there are just dark things out there all of the time. Right. It's a beautifully made movie, but it, yes. you're right. It does look like a gorgeous nightmare. Well, it's so, and it's so bleak, too. I mean, there's that uh, the shot of them leaving in the beginning of the movie. They're cast out of paradise, essentially. And there's the shot of them leaving, and I believe you can see the sun in that shot. And I don't know if you see the sun again for or, the rest of the movie. Or color, unless it's like right. blood or the witch. Right. Who is you see a few times. The movie times. is so gray. It's practically a black and white movie in color because you know it's like the 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 sunlight has like uh, left these people's lives it's like they have literally been like forsaken by god i mean and yeah it's it's um i mean you touched on one of the uh, in a way that one of the terrifying things is about the movie is that like it's hard to imagine anyone more devout or faithful than these people, even though we do see at times that they, you know, they, they sin, they make mistakes. The father lies, hides things. And is proud. Sure. There's right. like this flicker of, of kind of right. incest. They uh, are, they are human be beings. Right. They are by themselves. Right. Yes. I mean, they are, you know, we're all fallible human beings. Like we make mistakes, but it's hard to imagine anyone being more sort of pious and devout than these people. And it's still not good enough. Well, I think, you know, one of the most powerful things that the movie does is one right away. It gives you the like gruesome death of a baby. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, not the violence is not shown on screen, but you see it's the truly fate. horrifying. It is truly and like happens right early in the film. Yes. So there, it kind of like lays its cards out on the table about like what kind of, you know, right. direct, like in kind of like its willingness to go to very dark places. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that it's the character's reactions to the death of the baby that are really, I think something new because they're genuinely like the children are genuinely troubled and horrified by the idea that they're like, well, this baby the soul of this baby has gone to hell right? because we did not, you know, do due diligence because we got kicked out. We couldn't like the baby couldn't right. get baptized, but that's it. Like the children are having like nightmares about their sibling being in hell. Yeah. It's a like just the idea that you would have this weighing on you. There's a nice spectrum of, of uh, sort of looking at children in this movie because you have the innocent sweet baby who has meets this horrible fate. And then you have those little kids we're kind of horrible. <laughs> they're yeah, they're brats. They're such brats, exactly, <laughs> that you're almost kind of rooting for them to... Uh, Jonas meet and Mercy, the twins. Jonas yeah. and Mercy, yeah. Yeah, and then, yeah, and you have Thomason, who right. is almost a woman. Right. and who Such Anya, a fascinating character. Yeah, Anya Taylor-Joy is very good in She's this. great. But I, is also someone who is not fitting in to Puritan life very well. Right. And I think they're all... So much of the tension in this 
uh, is kind of like is already existing tension that flares to life under yes. pressure, especially yes. with her mother mm-hmm. who blames her for so like blames her for the baby disappearing and blames her for, yeah, for the fact that her brother was looking down her blouse, you right. know, and blames her for, and claims her father is doing the same thing. And all of these things that are just like explosions of fear and like a kind of like resentment. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like the family dynamics are really, grim and fascinating right well but and even her name thomason with you know sin in her you know it's it's not too subtle it's not a it's a little it's a little on the nose but i think it really works because it, it is such an expression of again of the way that these parents look at this daughter especially at this point in the movie where she is right on the cusp of sort of womanhood and like you said it's like she is this vessel that contains all of this you know, culture's fears about women, maybe modern culture's fears about women too. I mean, there, that's one of the sort of the cruxes of where you really see uh, the modern parallels is that in some ways, this is like a movie about a woman who is sort of uh, breaking free or, or trying to break free against this yoke of patriarchy Patriarchy, and religion. Uh And, you know, that is sort of, you know, she is, 100% guilty until proven innocent. And there's no way to prove herself innocent. You know, it's like, it is the ultimate rig deck. There's a stack deck, whatever you want to call it. She just, there's nothing she can do to prove that she didn't do this thing. And it, you know, it's kind of outrageous and unfair. And it does, you do, you know, it it creates all these different um, parallels that you can draw from and talk about. Yeah, so let's talk about the a little spoiler. Yeah, let's let's get into some spoilers. Okay. So if you haven't seen the movie and you are worried about the ending, uh, skip this. Watch part. it on Amazon Prime. Yeah. We both definitely recommend it. Absolutely. Yeah, it's got a great goat performance. We yeah, haven't we haven't talked, talked about, about Black Phillip. Black Phillip, excellent performance. Excellent rabbit performance. Yes. Scary crow. The crow. Oh my god. Yeah, That's that might be that, that might be my least favorite image in, in the upsetting. movie. That is an incredibly disturbing scene. Yeah. Again, especially when you have I mean, I saw that movie in last like September, so you know, the baby wasn't quite here yet. Then when you see it again after there's there actually is a baby f- eating things in the house that are coming from people. Yeah, it takes on a whole new dimension, let me tell you. <laughs> a plus. <laughs> All right. Spoilers, here we go. Here we go. So one of the, I think, like major points of discussion of this film is that it is both a movie about witch hunting in the patriarchal, paranoid, uh, you know, accusatory sense yes. that is so tied up into American history. Mm-hmm. And yet it is also a movie in which witches exist. Witches exist, and yes. And it, it, it kind of, it tells us that, I've heard some people kind of argue that this is, that the witches are possibly metaphors, which makes no sense to me, because the first time we see one, no other character it's not from the point of view of a character. Right. You know, it is, we see this figure mm-hmm. like running off into the night. It just seems like to give that read that maybe this is all, all those scenes in the few scenes in which we see witches are expression of par- like hysteria. Right. Seems like an odd read to me. I mean, I guess, I, I guess you could argue for that in the, just in the sense that because we don't, I don't know, the fact that we see this strange mystery thing in the woods, I think it does fit in with the overall sort of, nightmarish mood of the movie right. that there isn't there doesn't have to in a nightmare there doesn't have to be a logical explanation so perhaps you could say that this is just i don't know unexplained phenomenon but the movie by the end of it pretty much embraces the supernatural it's not playing too coy it plays coy for a while other than that one scene where we see the witch in action or part of the witch we see enough somebody out there somebody out there right 
Um, but by the end of the movie, when there's people flying and I mean, and, and an appearance from the devil, from the devil. Right. I mean, that wish to live deliciously. I mean, what I love about that scene is that, that it's, uh, who wouldn't take that deal at that point? Well, my favorite read on this movie actually came from Sonny Bunch, okay. who writes at the Free Beacon, uh, but who calls this movie a radicalization narrative, really. Mm-hmm. Like, Thomason is someone who is marginalized by society right. and by her family and joins what is essentially a radical organization, yeah. right? She joins... she is given no choice in terms of her place in, you know, mainstream society. Right. And because of how she's treated in that, it gives her, it, it, it ultimately incentivizes that last act, this act of desperation, but also kind of like, it giddy, makes it sort of heroic freedom. Yeah. Yeah. In that last scene, it's troubling, but also you're like, yeah, it's, it's very troubling, it. but yeah. you, but you do get it. I mean, to me, it's like, especially after I'd seen it once and then really sort of focusing in on not so much on like the story, but just thinking about that character and her journey. It's like, if you're going to be condemned as a witch, might as well be a witch. Exactly. Give might as option. well live deliciously and enjoy yourself while you're being, uh, you know, called a witch. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, that last scene I think is so tremendous for that very reason, which right. is like laughing kind of almost hysterically over yeah. over the wilderness like floating up above the wilderness and you're like well yeah if this is what everyone has wa- like basically assigned for you anyway right why not embrace it why not sign the book and uh right you know get some pretty dresses and some butter was it the taste of butter the taste of butter <laughs> it's yeah. such a good like offer it's not it's not like, would you like all of this power? It's not, right. would you Wealth. like... It is, it is like, would you like these sens- sensual things? Right. Butter, like like the taste of like richness, right. a nice dress. All of the things that Puritanism do not allow. Right. Like no sensual enjoyment of life. Well, but and forget about allowing just the fact that they were living in this remote... give them an Right, they had no opportunity because right. they were living in but such a remote... But it was frowned on. Like enjoyment absolutely. of life. Absolutely. Like, you're absolutely life right. Is like, yeah. <clears throat> you're absolutely right. But I do... But I love too the idea that that her life is such garbage that literally like a pad of butter is enough to sell your soul for the devil. I think that's something very beautiful about that as well is that things have gotten so bad for this poor woman that it's like, look, if you give me a stick of butter, I'll pretty much do whatever you want. Like, I think, <laughs> I think there's something kind of very darkly funny about that as well. Sure. You know, there's not a lot to look forward to out there. No. In the, in the wilderness. No, not at all. I, I think there is something, I think, I mean, I could see people, you know, I've I've heard some readings of the movie that take the fact, like you said, we've already talked about that, the fact that, you know, it's about being terrified of witches and, and that sort of thing and witch hunting, but that there are actually are witches that, you know, some people are like, well, but in, doesn't that somehow I mean, justify right, witch hunting is correct. Right. Yeah. And no. I, you know, I just don't see the don't movie see that. that way. Well, I just, I feel like they're two separate things. Right. It is, you know, yeah, she is blameless. It is not her fault. And yet... She she has to accept this thing anyway. So that if right. it's there, then why the hell not? Yeah, uh, yeah. Any, yeah. Any other last things we want to? We didn't talk. You want to talk some more about Black Phillip? No, but I do like Black Phillip. Yeah. I think uh, it's, it's a tremendous it's performance, trem- tremendous goat performance, and also it's rare to have a. It's rare to have animals be as scary. Like just like. There is a rabbit, a, an adorable bunny rabbit mm-hmm. in this, and it is really scary, like just in the way it is filmed mm-hmm. and in the context. I don't know what, before we, we leave this, you, yes. you 
that think maybe the the scene with the crow is the most disturbing for you? Well, the scene with the baby and the witch with the hands and the hands like sort of like those gnarled witch hands. And the knife. Yeah, yeah. that's pretty bad too. But I think just the it's like there's the, the what's amazing about the scene with the crow is there's that buildup of tension waiting to see, waiting to see what is it going to be. And then the the image, it's something like almost out of like a, a painting, like the, the composition is almost, again, beautiful in its horrifyingness. There's something very classical about it that just it's again, seems like something that's been drawn out of a like a, a nightmare that really troubles me. Yeah, I really like the shot in which Caleb, got, having gotten lost in the woods, mm. finds the witch's oh, hut. Oh, God, that and is another terrifying scene. Where it's like he is terrified, but almost like drawn helplessly to drawn to yeah. it. And you see from his point of view as the witch, who is now young and beautiful, like opens the door and like comes out. Yeah. They just even the way that it is framed and the way that she approaches, like it's filmed from his point of view, is so frightening. Uh, and and it's so well done. Well, and then his, you know, we haven't really talked about Caleb that much, but that character, his sort of last scene where he dies in this sort of orgasmic reverie is an amazing scene too. And he's spitting out, he spits out an, an apple. apple. That's pretty troubling too, actually. I forgot that All of scene. the details are very, yeah, that's it. They're very foreign and like weird. just weird. Yes, yeah. yes. They're... It's an unsettling movie, but yes. a really good one. yes. So that is The Witch, and it is now streaming on Amazon Prime. Got a black magic woman. Got a black magic woman. I've got a black magic woman. Got me so blind I can't see. That she's a black magic woman. She's trying to make a devil Turn your back on me, baby. Don't turn your back on me, baby. Yes, don't turn your back on me, baby. Stop messing around with your tricks. Don't turn your back on me, baby. You just might pick up my certainly could have done some sort of theme connected to the witch but it seemed like a missed opportunity to do that and not talk about the trip that Allison and I just returned from which was to the Toronto International Film Festival we were both there this year saw a lot of movies over the course of a week or so and we thought these are the movies that are going to be talked about they're all going to end up on streaming at some point and they're going to be in the discussion for awards and Oscars and we figured they may not be streaming at the this exact moment, but it is worth discussing uh, some of these big movies because uh, you're going to want to hear about them now, if not later. So, Allison, uh, we've we've seen a bunch together, and then we've we've got sort of like a kind of wild card pick. We're going to mention at the end that one of us saw, respectively, a movie that we really liked that the other one didn't get to. But should we just dive right in with the big the big whopper, the big daddy, the Let's big? Let's do it. The big movie, which um, I think certainly in terms of like critical acclaim and amongst the I, maybe technically not a premiere as it premiered at Venice, but seen by us at Toronto and by a lot of the international press was La La Land, the new film from Damien Chazelle, a filmmaker we both 
already huge fans of. Yeah. You can, uh, by the way, stream his earlier film, Guy and Madeline, on a park bench on Fandor. Right. I do not think Whiplash, his better known film, is true. You can anywhere. rent it. I, maybe you can rent it. <laughs> maybe. Okay. Well, we'll double check on that. But I mean, if you haven't seen Guy and Madeline on a park bench, it's actually sort of instructive to seeing La La Land. It feels in many ways like a spiritual a prequel or you know predecessor it that was a very small low budget like 16 millimeter black and white musical um you know very lo-fi it was like a, a john cassavetti's movie mixed with a mu- musical yeah and and in a way la la land is almost like the the expression of that at a at a budget it's like guy and madeline in a lavish old-fashioned hollywood musical and uh I have a hard time imagining someone not not at least liking this movie. I've seen I've seen a few seen people flicker up. Curmudgeons? Yeah. I, because I've met people who were very skeptical and said, "Oh, I'm I'm not even I I knew this was not for me." And then they like almost had to admit begrudgingly that it won them over. It's very winning and likable. It is very likable. It feels very Umbrellas of Cherbourg at times. Yes, hugely. I think that's like the biggest influence, though there are influences There's all others, over the place. But There's for a lot. Sure. It is like it gestures towards a lot of different uh, kind of classic Hollywood things, while at the <clears> same time not feeling like a pastiche. Yeah, and, and I, we should say, unlike Umbrellas of Cherbourg, it's not like everything is sung in the no, movie. There's has, numbers. Yes, it has, but it's regular dialogue. And dance dialogue. numbers, too, I should point out. Yes. Like, which is really lovable. Yes. <laughs> uh, the things I have heard which i think are i've heard a few people complain that they're like in fact one person said there are any like lubitsch musical is like a million times better than this which i feel is to miss the point which is in part it this is a a movie about two strivers in la and played uh, by we should say ryan, ryan gosling, gosling and emma and stone, emma stone. Yeah. and ryan gosling and emma stone are not the world's greatest belters of tunes correct or the best dancers in the world which correct. is part of the it and is part a of the slightly charm. shabby, yes. uh, slightly, it, it is about normal-ish people yes. who also happen to be radically beautiful and, uh, you know, charismatic, but right. that is it. Like, the opening number, which is such a showstopper, it is so incredible, is set in L.A. There traffic. was spontaneous applause in the theater, yeah. in a theater of jaded uh, film critics. It, it opens in L.A. traffic, mm-hmm. you know, on an over freeway overpass, mm-hmm. and then someone starts singing, and it becomes this huge, long-take song and dance number where people yeah. are out of their cars. Jumping on the cars, dancing on the cars. It is wonderful. Like, yes. It is legitimately wonderful. Right. And I think, you know, that combination of the mundane and the kind of deliberately small yes. with the grandeur of of classic musical sentiment is is pretty hard to resist it is i i, I absolutely adored this movie and uh, <clears throat> it was certainly my most anticipated movie of not just the festival but the whole fall i've been really looking forward to this so i had very high expectations and i felt like they were all met i thought that this was really wonderful and you know you say that these are it's about sort of these ordinary people who happen to be gorgeous and I'm not d- diminishing Emma Stone's beauty. She's a beautiful woman, but actually how she looks compared to these other bombshell actresses around her is part of the movie. Right. I mean, she, she is, is an aspiring actress yeah. and is sort of, you know, overwhelmed or intimidated by the people that she goes into these auditions against. Well, basically. she's very aware of being a working actress who right. has to support herself by being a barista and like she's very aware of the drama that her life is lacking and she has i what another thing i like before we move on from this movie another thing i really liked about it is that it is a movie about 
it's about two people who are kind of have these holds uh, uh, are held in nostalgia, like this kind of nostalgic lull in terms of she has like a Ingrid Bergman, like uh, painted on the wall of her bedroom. And he is obsessed with jazz, which he's well aware is like fading in terms right. of viable financial uh, a way to support himself. And yet he's so stuck on it. And I yeah. think, you know, there's a way in which this movie is about nostalgia and about how you have to maybe change and about compromises. And I think there's something to that in a form as like really rooted in nostalgia and kind of rooted in being unfashionable as a musical. It's really nicely done. I think that you're absolutely right. I think what's amazing about the movie is that it is about all of those issues that you're talking about. But and and it's clear it's not it's not super subtle or hidden but it also manages to still just be a really great romance a great musical a fun comedy at times a sad movie at times like it has wonderful surface pleasures but it also is really rich it has all this stuff going on like you said about nostalgia and about I mean, when 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 Ryan Gosling talks about how jazz is dying and he feels bad about that, I mean, you could also say that that's just when every time he says jazz, just put in Hollywood musical or put in mainstream movie Movies, for adults. Yes. <laughs> I mean, I think that there's a lot there to chew over. Uh, so I think this is it's certainly going to be a big movie at the end of the year. I, yeah. I'm not an awards expert, but it seems to me it's going to be a contender for sure. Well, I think right as of right now, I would say it's a favorite in part, not just because I mean, excusing its goodness also it is the most safe choice in a year that i think is looking to shape up between being these uh a bunch of films about race some of which are better than others some yeah. of which are very good and some mm -hmm. of which are you know loaded with uh, a whole year's metatextual difficult yeah issues awfulness mm -hmm. uh and then and then things like Sully, which <clears> might creep in there, or Florence Foster Jenkins, which might creep in there, which I represent a lot I, about I what about, we complain about. I don't know about that last one. Oh, I've heard a lot of... Yeah, really? Yeah. Okay. I And that, like, you know, this is kind of the in-between spot. There's no way it won't be nominated for Best Picture. I'll say that. I don't know about winning. I'm never very good at predicting, especially at this point. But there's no way this movie is not a Best Picture nominee this year. I would I would stake my my uh, reputation on that. I'd be shocked if that didn't happen. Absolutely. And, with, and that'll be great because it is, it is deserving of acclaim. And I'm sure we'll be talking more about that one. So that's La La Land. What's what do you want to talk about next? Well, We've got a few about options. Moonlight, All which right. is my was honestly was my favorite film out of the festival. Uh, I, I from Barry Jenkins, his first movie in eight years, uh, and an adaptation of a play. It's set in a kind of rough area of Miami and is a coming of age movie that takes place over three portions of its main character's life: uh, when he's a boy, when he's a teenager, and then when he's a young man. Um, oh, and I'll mention Barry Jenkins' directorial debut, Medicine for Melancholy, which got a lot of acclaim uh, for a small movie, is streaming on Netflix and is definitely worth a look. Um, I love Moonlight. I think it's tremendous and poetic and beautiful and and kind of heart-stopping at points. It has It is uh, romantic and also extremely like wrenching mm -hmm. in terms of what it shows it, it, it's a coming of age movie i don't know i mean it made me think at times about tree of life and about boyhood and yet also it is very much about not having a kind of americana idyllic idyllic uh, yes. you know like 
would make white a very Texan. good uh, comparison piece with Boyhood, which is a movie I love. Right. But I, you're right. Yeah. There is interesting parallels. To draw. There's actually interesting parallels to draw with La La Land in some ways in that it's about sort of uh, sort of thwarted romance and the realities of, of life and the compromises you have to make versus the people that you love in your life. Yeah. And I, it, it, it has, I think, it, the way it segues from being about a kid to being about someone who is like slowly armoring himself up because mm-hmm. of like the differences people sense on him right and the ways he is not conforming to a pretty narrow acceptable definition of masculinity in this right. like this like tough neighborhood uh i think are just so well done yeah. especially in in what it means when he ends up as an adult and like what he kind of does to protect himself it's like kind of devastating. Yeah, I, I like this movie a lot too. I'd probably give La La Land this slight edge in my in my heart, but this was certainly also amongst the very best things that I saw, and certainly I, has the best performances uh, in terms of the festival that I saw. Just all all of the acting in this movie, I thought was really outstanding. And Travante Rhodes, who plays the adult version of this main character, because we see him at three stages of his life. I, I thought his performance was just mind blowing. Like I don't think I've seen a performance like this where I knew like immediately, meaning by the end of the movie, that this person is destined for star like huge stardom. Probably since I saw Short Term Twelve and I saw Brie Larson, I was like, This woman is gonna be a huge movie star. She's amazing. Like that's the way I feel about this guy. He is incredible. Yeah. And the whole last sequence for the most part, revolves around a conversation yes. uh, with Andre Holland, who's also very good. Mm-hmm. And it is a stretch that is so kind of tender and rueful and sexy when it's really like a conversation. Like it is, right. it is so well done. Yeah. I, I would say that I felt like the beginning of the movie was a little, I don't want to say slow, but I think the movie like accumulates. You feel the weight of what this character is going through. That by the end of the movie, you know, it hasn't really accelerated the pacing. As you said, like the big scene at the end is a conversation between two men in a diner, basically. Mm. But that by after, you know, and it's not a long movie either, but after like 100 minutes or whatever, that the accumulation of sort of tragedy and trial and struggle that this man has been through, like it, it, it packs a huge emotional punch without going for huge melodramatic scenes or speeches or anything like that. It's very restrained in a lot of ways but it really i mean it i it's hard to you know it's hard to not be affected by this movie yeah uh i also want to give a shout out to mahershala ali who plays this like a local drug dealer who also becomes He's a the kind father of figure surrogate father uh for sure the main character and is I, you know, he's uh, the the villain on Luke Cage. He's been uh, he's on House. He's a supporting of Cards, character on House of Cards, but he's like having he's got a big fall coming up. He's in Hidden Figures as well. Apparently, uh, I think he's he does like a very good job in this. He's really good. He is like embodies all of these contradictions. Uh, yeah, really well. Yeah. All right. Well, that's another very very enthusiastic recommendation for Moonlight. Next. Let's talk about Arrival, okay. Denis Villeneuve's latest, mm-hmm. his sci-fi film starring Amy Adams as a linguistic prof- linguistics professor yeah. who gets brought in after 
aliens arrive in 12 different ships around the planet. She is brought in to attempt to communicate with the ones that have landed in Montana. Mm-hmm. And then there is also a personal element to this that eventually dovetails with the attempts to communicate with the aliens, which look like squid-like kind of things a bit, but they're also tall. I don't think – I think we should keep this one short because I think the best way to experience this movie is pretty cold. Sure. So I don't want to talk too much about – like normally I'm not spoiler-phobic at all. But I will say in this case, this movie hit me in a very sort of intense and personal way. And I think part of it was that I really – like it. Fool, this movie actually fooled me in a way that a lot of – I can't say many movies have done uh, recently. Like – you know, we see so many movies and they're all so similar that it's very easy to predict where most of them are going. And I will say that this movie genuinely surprised me in some of its developments. Other people said, oh, yeah, I, I, I kind of knew what yeah, was going to happen. Yeah, I knew what was happening. Uh, but I, I, I was sort of kind of blown back in my chair a yeah, little bit. Yeah, I don't. I mean, I feel like I, that, like you, I'm scared of like framing it too much as like there is a twist or something like right. that. And I'm not saying that there is right. actually. But. Sure, it does. It does something that I think like really makes you rethink how you've been, how you've pegged characters, right, and what they're experiencing. Yeah, I feel like I don't know. I have a feeling you like this movie more than I do. I feel yeah. like it's two thirds of a good movie. I didn't think the ending really worked for me. Yeah, the ending I would say is probably the weaker part of the movie. I don't necessarily disagree with that. Um, I would say the opening of the movie. Maybe one of the most devastating openings of a movie since like Up. Yeah. yeah, I mean that's the thing that it probably draws comparison to without spoiling anything. Like it is a it is a gut punch, it's and you know I think a lot of filmmakers want to do right now what Denny Villeneuve does, which is take like genre movies and do like class them up, make them. I think elevated right, genre is a right. phrase that I've heard. Yeah, kind of, he is the king. That's kind of, of an that. obnoxious phrase that I don't particularly like, but I think a lot of people when they do that. I feel like they are – there's something kind of snobbish about it. Like, well, I'm too good to make a genre film, so I'm going to make an elevated genre film. And I don't feel that way about his movies. I feel like they deliver the things that they sh- need to, but they're also – like they're actually like genre movies for adults, for people who want to think about things and wrestle with ideas, as well as see a sci-fi movie, see a horror film, see an sure. action thriller, whatever it is. I find him a little frustrating in that – I feel like as a craftsman, he's incredible and he hires some great cinematographers that are just yeah. like the cinematography. Bradford Young shot this one. Stunning. And gorgeous. And unsettling. And eerie. Uh, yeah. And the and the sort of melding of special effects and the human actors are, are is just fantastic. Very well done. Yes. I do find that with most of his movies, including Sicario, his last one, which we were was an option for a listener's choice. Yep. It's now on Amazon Prime and Hulu. You can also find Polytechnique. His, uh, I think his first film yep. uh, is on Fandor. But I do find that often I don't feel that his scripts match up for me, uh, like are, are not on the level. I don't think he's ever written. He's written the last few either. But no. I, you know, I, I kind of feel like he is such a great craftsman. And then when their his films are over, I always feel like there's a little hollowness to them in terms of th- like thematically in terms yeah. of the script. I mean, uh, I certainly felt that way about Prisoners. I was not a huge fan. I think we might have talked about that movie. Right. On... I certainly felt that way about yeah. Sicario. See, Sicario, I really liked. And this movie, I don't know if I liked it quite as much as that one, but I'd say they're just about on, you know, even. And Enemy is a movie that I really like, too. I mean, I, I think he's a really good director. And 
could he stand to work with better material? Absolutely. I think that in some cases, yes, his his scripts can be a little bit weak. Yeah. I, I mean, I agree to an extent that the ending isn't super satisfying. I think to some extent what happens at the end of this movie is it's it, there couldn't have there almost couldn't be another ending and it's sort of it's just like the thing that this movie is doing there's nothing else that it could have done no i think there is a beautiful idea in this movie i do not think that it kind of it shepherds it together at the end as well as i wanted it to but i still think it is impressively made movie it also i will say you know movies reference or kind of like ping off of 9-11 a lot the opening after after the opening of this movie when the aliens arrive the way that whole bit is done yeah like reminded me that's so funny you said that ways including the fact like, there's a i scene was on in which college i was at college on 9 11 and, and the, the scene happened. of because basically she amy adams character is a professor yeah and so her experience of that day is yes. it's uncannily yes. accurate to that Just moment like, and the way she walks and the planes of her head and the, yes like, the planes people, like yes. on their like on phones or like whispering about that like yes it's really it is very specific i mean i don't know how i don't even know how old denny villeneuve is or the writer of the movie uh is but it feels like that day felt on a college campus that's so funny you said that i didn't hear anyone else say that but i thought that so strongly about that part of the movie that amongst the other things it does very well is it evokes the feeling of that day on a college campus like shock and also showing up to class and there's only like eight people there yes yeah. Totally. It's uh, it, it, it. There's a lot to talk about in Arrival, and yeah. I think we will maybe do that later. But that will be that will be coming out. We can do full spoilers. Yes. That we need to dive in. All right. So then, then we've got like a, a few films that one that I saw and that you didn't, and one that you saw and that I didn't. Yes. Um, why don't you talk about yours first? Okay, my film is actually like as we're recording this, I see that it premiered. Um, at Fantastic Fest last night and seemed to get a better reception there than it did at TIFF. The big press screening of um, my pick was up against the big press screening of A Monster Calls, which is, you know, they have recently pushed back to December and I guess has a, now has, has sort of sort of uh, rising kind of Oscar buzz around it. And I feel like this movie got a little bit swallowed, I guess, which is a shame because this was up there to me with La La Land and Moonlight amongst my very favorite movies that I saw at the festival. And it is a zombie movie called The Girl with All the Gifts. And it is based on a young adult novel, which I hadn't read, was unfamiliar with. I only went to see this because a colleague of ours, Josh Josh Rothkopf, had said, when I asked, what are you seeing tomorrow? He's like, I'm seeing this and this. And I'm seeing this zombie movie that has Glenn Close in it called The Girl with All the Gifts. And I said, oh, that sounds interesting. And he told me a little about it. And maybe, again, this is like the opposite of La La Land. I went in with almost no expectations, and I was really blown away by this movie. It certainly evokes other zombie movies. Probably 28 Days Later would be the one that it's maybe closest to. But I think it brings a lot of new stuff to the table. It brings some very interesting ideas to the table. And it's another movie that I don't want to talk about too much uh, Plot-wise, just because some of the fun of it is sort of discovering what it ultimately is about. It opens in this kind of bunker, maybe Day of the Dead-ish style, um, with this sweet-looking, innocent-looking little girl played by Senia Nanua. But she is, you know, in this solitary confinement cell, and then they put her in, you know, a... a wheelchair and strap her down and confine her, and she's constantly having machine guns pointed in her face 
um, which is already an image that's fraught with a lot of meaning right there. And she is in this mysterious sort of class full of these children who are all confined and we don't really understand what's going on. And uh, I don't think it's too much of a spoiler to say that, you know, basically that she has these this sort of zombie side, let's say, and that there is this zombie kind of plague that's um, afflicted this uh, this version of England. And um, in this facility, they're holding some of these little children and I won't explain why. But Glenn Close is sort of this scientist who's involved, and Gemma Arterton is a, is the teacher of the class, and Patty Considine is sort of the, I would say, hard-nosed uh, soldier, plays, you know, the, the character you would sort of expect him to play. And um, it sort of goes in these different directions that I don't want to talk about too much, but I thought this movie did a wonderful job of both giving you the zombie stuff you want, you know, blood and gore and scares, and also kind of rethinking some of the ideas at the heart of a a zombie movie, which is, you know, to say like, at what point does the zombie deserve life? At what point is the zombie a person with rights and uh, thoughts and feelings and existence? And who are we at a certain point to say we deserve to live and they deserve to die? Uh, Not that I want to be eaten by a zombie, but I think that the way the movie addresses all of these ideas and, and uses that as an allegory for all sorts of different things, not just about zombies, was the thing that to me really elevated this movie beyond just being a very satisfying genre film. Sort of like Arrival. It is, it is a, a movie that you know totally does all the things that a, a B movie in air quotes does while also – it is awake. This movie is alive. It has ideas and thoughts and it finds ways to express them within – a satisfying structure and some very good performances in the movie. Uh, Senian Nanua, the little girl is wonderful. And the, the adults are great too, including Glenn Close. It's really fun seeing her in this, in this, um, I guess kind of mad scientist sort of role. She's great. And Patty Considine is awesome too. I didn't even know he was in it. It was really, it's always exciting when an actor at like a festival, when you go to see something and like, Oh look, an actor I love is in this. I had no idea. It's such a nice surprise. So, this movie is coming out like imminently in the UK. It has a US distributor. I don't know if they've announced when it's being released yet, but this is one that I would say keep on your radar. If you are a fan of zombie movies, of horror movies with some some brains, this is definitely one to keep on your on your uh, on your radar. So that's The Girl with All the Gifts. I really recommend it. Uh, Allison, what is your uh, pick to talk about? My pick is Jackie, which is the new film from Pablo Lorraine that is the Chilean director um, whose recent film, The Club, is on Amazon Prime. Tony Manero, great. Tony Manero is great. Movie. I was not a fan of The Club, I'm, but I loved um, uh, Tony Manero. Yeah. And no, it's another... No. Good. Yeah, but Tony Manero and Postmortem are both on Fandor. Oh, you okay. want to see those. Yes. I don't think No is streaming anywhere, right, right, right. unfortunately. But yeah, a really gifted director made this movie that I think on the surface sounds like just another biopic. It's about uh, Jackie Onassis. And it is already, it got snapped up by Fox Searchlight because there was such buzz mm-hmm. over Natalie Portman yeah. playing Jackie Onassis, uh, Jackie Kennedy at the time. Uh, this is not your standard biopic. It is, I think, it interestingly played at the festival and afterwards, LBJ, a much more standard biopic from Rob Reiner with Woody Harrelson playing LBJ, 
uh, played towards the end of the festival and even includes a lot of the same scenes since Jackie is very focused on the the time surrounding JFK's assassination mm-hmm. and the time following it. It includes some of the exact same scenes, but like this movie ends up just wiping the floor with LBJ and wiping the yeah. floor with traditional biopics in general. That's what I heard. Yeah, it's uh, it's something. It I, one of the things. It's framed by Jackie in conversation. Uh, with Billy Crudup, who plays a journalist who has come to interview her uh, when she's like a week after, I think, and is talking to her. They basically duel. She keeps saying things and then telling him, like saying things that are very like raw and real and then telling him she won't let him publish it, like that she will basically destroy him if he publishes it. And it becomes this whole film about the creation of historical narratives. She talks about history books and what goes into them And what the film becomes is a portrayal of how the kind of soft power she wields as the first lady, even in things like decorating the White House, in things like deciding not to change out of that suit, that bloodstained suit, when the public sees her, when she comes off the plane, deciding how to to have the funeral, to have Kennedy's funeral be modeled after uh, Abraham Lincoln's, including this giant procession, you know, when all of these people were trying to stop her because they were worried about safety. It becomes about how those things shape history. It essentially argues that she, in framing and demanding that her husband have like the funeral of and the kind of and she creates the narrative of him as a great man more than what he actually managed to get accomplished in like what was a very short time in office. Uh, you've got Peter Sarsgaard as as Bobby Kennedy, who's very good. Uh, Greta Gerwig, Gerwig as like a side character who I don't think people recognized her in it. And at first, someone like leaned over and was like halfway through the movie was like, "Is that Gerwig?" <laughs> uh, but. Um, yeah, Billy Crudup, as I mentioned, John Hurt, John Carroll Lynch, Beth Grant. Got a great cast, but it is carried. It is totally carried by Natalie Portman, who is just is tremendous in this. I think this is the kind of role that sounds very precious, especially it sounds like it can just be an impersonation, you know, with the voice and with the hair and the look. So it's someone who is so iconic, but she finds this like intense grief and rawness and and intelligence and kind of cunning in in the first lady in being able to to basically wield tremendous power in shaping this idea of Camelot you know and and kind of like winging that into the air to become this defining aspect of of her her late husband's presidency it's really well done it's very smart uh it's got a soundtrack by Mika Levy is that it's not Micah is it Mika Levy who did the soundtrack the score for Under the Skin it is her second score and it is it is great it sounds like an orchestra melting it I love it <laughs> but yeah this is uh this is really something else it's very kind of puts you in in the mindset of a character not in a way that sounds like a device like this is someone on the side of this major day in history but as as someone who is maybe who is given like legitimately complicated, complex treatment, who is treated as more interesting than her her husband, yeah, uh, it's it's really it's a good movie. Uh, beyond just a performance, it is a very good movie. So that is Jackie, 
and it will be coming out this fall. Okay, before we get to Behind the Eight Ball here, we wanted to uh, announce something that's pretty exciting. Allison and I are coming to Chicago. Yes, we The are. Windy City. Hopefully my voice is back by then because we're doing a live show in Chicago with Film Spotting Original Recipe. We're the opening act. So we'll have to play the hits, but not get, we don't want to, we can't overshadow them. Right. You know, we'll keep, we'll stay in our, our place. Right. We'll, we'll have to stick we'll, to time. Yeah. We'll, uh, you know. Roadies will probably be setting up their equipment all around us. Try not to be too, uh, too exciting. Right. Uh, but uh, tickets are available for the show. It's Friday, November 18th, and it is at 7 o'clock. You can find uh, the, the information at the uh, venue's website. The venue is the Scuba's Lincoln or Shuba's Lincoln Hall. We're not from Chicago. I don't know the name of this place. But the, uh, the website is lh-st.com, and you can find uh, information. You can find tickets there. It says it's a general admission, so you're going to want to get there early to get a good seat. And to see us. And I rec- I don't recommend you leave after we're done, but you know, <laughs> you want to be there early so you can see us, obviously. No. Because we're, we're going to be, we are, and we're going to be, I don't have no idea what we're going to do yet. Not a clue. But we have time to figure what that out. What if we really shook it up for like song and dance numbers? It, like, I think if we surprise people by suddenly becoming like La La Land, <laughs> yes. where we just burst into right, un- sitting, unexpected song. Stand up. See, we can't do it now because we spoiled it. But if we had done it, it w- people it would have lost their minds. Yes. We would have definitely upstaged <laughs> the main, the main event uh, if we had done that. But uh, we'll find some stuff to do. I mean, we have done. We did one live show before, which actually went really well, and um, we've been talking about doing doing some more. So it's exciting that we get to do it again. I'm sure we'll we'll we're gonna have a lot of fun. Again, it's November 18th in Chicago. Come on out. Come see us. See film spotting. It's gonna be a really great night. And it's part of the Chicago Podcast Festival as well. So if you're uh, in Chicago and you like podcasts, there's a whole festival of live podcasts going on that weekend in November. Check it out. Come see us. Uh, We hope you'll uh, join us for that show. It's going to be great. All right. Let's move on to Behind the Eight Ball. We talk about new releases. We talk about listener recommendations. We give you a random film chosen blindly by number from our My Lists. How would the guy in uh, in The Witch say my list? I, my list. Dost thou want to live my listishly? It's not bad. That's not bad. No. That's pretty good. No. Do you want to go first, Allison? Yes, I do. All right. Well, let's start with some new releases on streaming. Three new releases specifically. Okay. Well, first up is a TV series that is on Amazon Prime that I really enjoyed. It is called Fleabag. It is the work of Phoebe Waller-Bridge, who is the writer and the star. And it is one of those kind of comedy dramas that seems to be the prevailing, the rising form of good television these days. Mm. Screw you, hour-long dark drama. We're all about the ambiguously comedic uh, half-hour series now. And Fleabag is certainly that. It is rowdy and dark and hilarious and it is also about grief uh i really think it's worth checking out that's on amazon prime also on amazon prime is nuts this is the animated documentary from penny lane who did r nixon and this is about famous quack john r brinkley who who helped men with manly problems with uh, a medical treatment that I, I don't think anyone would recommend. 
but a lot of people went for. Uh, that is on Amazon Prime. It's nuts. And finally, new to Netflix is Sunset Song. This is the latest one from Terrence Davies. Actually, it's not. It's uh, got a new movie. It's got a new movie. Uh, but uh, this one uh, is is really good. Uh, starring Agnes Dean, the model turned actress, as a Scottish woman in the early 1900s, weathering all kinds of difficulties because life in Scotland then, especially trying to run a farm, not easy. And yet this is really one of the most ecstatically beautiful movies, despite all of the sometimes ugly things that happen. So that is Sunset Song. It is on Netflix. Okay. And how about some listener recommendations? Two listener recommendations, to be specific. All right. Well, first up, we have one from Matt in Madison, Wisconsin who says, Hi, Matt and Allison. I want to offer a quick recommendation for a really solid solid miniseries I caught up with recently, The Last Panthers, which is streaming now on Hulu. The story begins with a diamond heist in Paris, but as its aftermath bleeds out, the plot follows characters into messy dealings with illegal firearms, political and corporate corruption, and the scars left by the Serbian War. The show is constructed in a smartly interlocking fashion and ends up being a sharp deconstruction and complete unraveling of the heist genre. The characters are quite well drawn and compellingly portrayed by a terrific central cast that includes Samantha Morton, Tahar Rahim, John Hurt, and Goran Bogdan, an actor I had never heard of or seen before who absolutely holds his own as what is arguably the narrative's central figure. I'm somewhat surprised that The Last Panthers didn't receive better critical attention, especially because of the strong ensemble cast, but it came and went quick quietly on the Sundance channel this past spring. If you're in the mood for an international crime drama that is dark, dense, and frankly, a little bit sulky in a good way, I would suggest, strongly suggest pulling it up on Hulu and giving it a shot. I had not even heard of the last Panthers and Mm. that sounds great. That cast alone is, you know, a pretty fantastic mix of people. So I will definitely look that up. Thank you, Matt, for that great recommendation. And we have a recommendation from John in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, who writes, I'd like to recommend today's special on Netflix. It's a really charming story about an Indian-American fine dining chef and his relationship with his immigrant parents. It has a great lead performance by Asif Manvi and a great supporting cast as well. Thank you for all the great work you do. Well, thank you for that recommendation, John. Okay. And how about a film chosen blindly by number from your my list and... Just one. One film chosen by by number from your mind. I'll try and restrain myself. Yes. You gave me number 10. Number 10 is actually another Sundance Channel series. It's called Clever Man. This is an Australian television series uh, that is a kind of like a dystopian Australia series bringing in a lot of Aboriginal... Uh, culture and mm. traditions, but it's also sort of a superhero story. Mm-hmm. I just started watching it. I watched the first episode. It's it's kind of subdued, but it has a really fascinating basic uh, world-building premise, including that there is this whole separate group of people called Harrys that I guess comes from an Aboriginal myth who have some powers and are, live a lot longer and who have emerged into the public and have immediately been kind of kept to a specific zone and people are really afraid of them. So I, I mean, the idea of, of something that's like a superhero story that brings together Aboriginal kind of mythology and culture is fantastic to me. I, the first episode I think is okay, but it's a slow burn. 
Uh, but I think I'm going to try some more. So that is Clever Man. That is on Netflix. That sounds pretty good. Yeah. All right. Are you ready, Matt? <clears throat> My throat is not, but otherwise, yes, I am ready. Why don't you give me three and only three? Only- What about, can can I do four? No. Okay, fine. So first up, new on Netflix is Raiders! Exclamation point. The story of the greatest fan film ever made. A documentary about the now legendary true story of a bunch of kids who spent seven, seven, seven summers making what they eventually called Raiders of the Lost Ark, the adaptation, a shot-for-shot remake of Steven Spielberg's Raiders of the Lost Ark. This is a, it's a great story. And if you haven't seen the actual adaptation that they made, have you ever seen it, Allison? I have seen it. It's wonderful. But if you haven't seen it, this is a great way to sort of at least glimpse it. You get lots of little snippets of it in the documentary amongst the sort of modern footage, the, the people talking about them making the film. It's a fun documentary. Raiders, the story of the greatest film film ever made that is now available on Netflix. Next up, another doc about a bunch of enterprising kids who just wanted to conquer the world with their art. This is about a little rock group called The Beatles, whose years, their early years, are chronicled in a new documentary called The Beatles, colon, Eight Days a Week, Second, colon, The Touring Years. It's a bit of a mouthful of a title, but it is an authorized doc featuring new interviews with Paul McCartney and Ringo Starr, and it has great archival footage of The Beatles in their touring heyday. And it is directed, to my surprise, when I watched it by Ron Howard. And I saw uh, – I didn't watch the whole thing, but I watched about half of this one night this week. And I was really enjoying it. I'm going to finish it. It is – it's got the, – the footage is really what you're coming for. And it has great footage of the Beatles in their prime um, live, which is something I hadn't really seen. Uh, maybe I'd seen a little of it before. But nice to see again, if nothing else. So that is the Beatles colon eight days a week, second colon, the touring years, now on Hulu. Finally, also on Hulu, I've got a classic for you, Roman Holiday, the 1953 rom-com directed by William Wyler. <clears throat> Very hard to say the name William Wyler with a, with a uh, laryngitis. And starring Gregory Pick and Audrey Hepburn. Peck plays a reporter. Hepburn is a princess who sneaks away from her entourage to explore Rome. Uh, it's one of my wife's favorites. She loves the stars, the Roman locations. In fact, when we went to Italy on vacation a few years ago. Her souvenir was a miniature... Uh, magnet version of the poster for Roman Holiday. So it is definitely a charmer. It's a classic. It is Roman Holiday. It is available on Hulu. Okay. Well, how about two? Two. Two. Listener recommendations. How about just one? Two. Okay, fine. So our first comes from Jared in Briar, Washington, who says, if you want to watch a pretty cool martial arts movie, and I do, Jared says, I would check out the horribly named Kill Zone 2 on Netflix. It isn't really a sequel at all, except maybe in spirit, entirely new story, new characters, etc. But it's well-paced with uh, bizarre story threads that are woven together really well, and the fighting is just terrific. It's really enjoyable watching a well-made action movie on a different sort of pace and feel from all the big summer blockbusters. And that is from Jared uh, in Briar, Washington. Thank you, Jared. I had heard about Kill Zone 2. I'd heard it's really great. So I, was, I actually hadn't noticed it was added to Netflix. So this is one that I already put on my own, my list. I'm looking forward to watching it. Uh, thank you, Jared, for that recommendation. Our second recommendation comes from Dion Anderson, who writes, Hi, I would like to recommend a very overlooked first feature streaming on Netflix called Sleeping Giant. The writer-director Andrew Cividino does a phenomenal job working with an all-unknown actor cast portraying small-town teenage life. This is a movie about one summer in the lives of two ne'er-do-well cousins and a boy from a well-off family that 
they befriend in a resort town on Lake Superior. I was so impressed with how these young actors inhabited their characters, especially the two cousins who befriend the boy uh, and his acquaintances from the right side of the tracks, in quotation marks. The writing is sublime. With very little exposition, we learn all about these kids and how they come together to spend this summer with one another. The film was released in May of 2015. Had I had the opportunity to see it last year, I would have suggested it as a nominee for the Film Spotting Mothership's Golden Brick Award. It is really that good. And that is Sleeping Giant, which is streaming now on Netflix. And that's a recommendation from Dion. And I have to admit, I'd never even heard of the movie. Yeah, I feel like one person has mentioned this to us on our Twitter, maybe, yeah, as well. Maybe. I think it's a Canadian movie. Mm. I think this was the one that got a shout out for maybe the potential center of a Canada-centric Canada Listener's choice. cinema of Canada. Options. Yes. Well, that's great. I love hearing recommendations that are so enthusiastic like that that are movies that we haven't even really had on our radar. So that's fantastic. Thank you for that recommendation. Sleeping Giant on Netflix. Well, why don't you give me one thing from your mindless? You gave me number 14, and it is a television show called I'll Have What Phil's Having. This is the description from Netflix. Besides being the creator of Everybody Loves Raymond, Phil Rosenthal also happens to be a foodie. Follow his culinary exploits around the globe. I'm guessing I put this on here when we were watching a lot of cooking shows like The Mind of a Chef when Riley was very little. It was a good thing to put on when we were dealing with her late at night because it was you could kind of pay attention, but there was no story to follow. But I'm going to do something I don't know if I've ever done, Allison. I am taking this thing <laughs> off my my list. What was I thinking? The creator of Everybody Loves Raymond's cooking show? I will say this. As someone who is – he has popped up on various podcasts yes. to talk about – Oh, like, are you going to change my mind? I don't know if I will change your mind. I've seen like half an episode of this. Okay. And I will say the thing that sets it apart. It is definitely a weird vanity project of sorts. But okay. That, he is someone who grew up like not eating good food at all in terms of not eating like ambitious food. Right. Like not someone who ever even really thought about food as something that could be that exciting. Mm-hmm. And so he tries things very gamely, goes all over the world like Anthony Bourdain style, except as someone who is like, who is not like a, a kind of like cultured foodie the, the way right. Amazon, uh, Anthony Bourdain is. And he tries things anyway. And he's very curious about it, but it's like without the kind of, He's unpretentious. Yes. And I think, I don't know, I mean, that's something. But yeah, I think there are a lot of cooking and food shows out there right now. There are probably better ones that you could spend your time on. Probably, but I'll tell you what. I'm going to give Phil a stay of execution. (laughs) If anyone has seen the show and wants to advocate on its behalf, SVU at filmspottingsvu.com is the email address. I'll wait and see if anyone writes in before I... But this is the first time where you said that you know, you gave me the number and I looked at it, I was like, what the heck is this? How did it get on here in a, you know, sleepless baby haze? I apparently added this. So we'll see. You're on thin ice, Phil. Sorry. All right. Let's get to our listeners choice options for our next episode. We've got uh, another assortment of uh, very sort of thematically connected in the sense that we've got three uh, streaming TV shows and they are all sort of. Autori, or tourist. A tourist television. Yes. They're also all, I think, you know, I was like sort of joking when I was like, half hour yeah, dramedy like the half thing. Half hour dramedy is like the winning 
new format for yeah, television. That's but what they we've all, got here. They all fall into that. Yeah, that's interesting. Well, that might be something to talk about as a theme, potentially, no matter what gets chosen. Our first option, and we would probably both agree, perhaps the front runner. I, yes. We're uh, assuming, but. A combination of curiosity and morbid curiosity. Yes, prove us wrong, is Crisis in Six Scenes. This is the new and first TV series from one Woody Allen. Woody Allen, who supposedly when he basically agreed to make this and without sort of realizing what he was signing up for when you hear him talk about it, uh, it stars Woody Allen. It also stars <laughs> Miley Cyrus and Elaine May. That is the, yes. the combination. Yes. And if you thought you would ever say those two names in, a, in the same sentence, you're doing better than me because I did not. Here is the description. It is a comedy or perhaps a dramedy. We don't know. That takes place in the 1960s during turbulent times in the United States, and a middle-class suburban family is visited by a guest who turns their household completely upside down. It will be streaming on Amazon Prime on September 30th. Um, I I have to admit, I have not seen the last couple of Woody Allen movies. I have, and... I missed Cafe Society. Which got better reviews, actually. That, yeah, I don't know why. Well, it was better received by people who are not named Allison Wilmore yes. than some of the more recent ones, like Magic in the Moonlight, which was not well received. I missed that one. I, I didn't catch up with Cafe Society yet. He's just, he's worn me down. So many Seriously. movies. He's made like, he's approaching 50 films. He's approaching 50, five zero. And he's dipping his toe in television for no apparent reason. He keeps talking about how he's like, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't think it's very good. Like A sterling endorsement. Yes. And yet people keep giving him money <laughs> yeah. to make movies and he keeps making movies and they keep making money, apparently. Enough to keep him, keep him funded, yes. I guess. So. What is this Amazon? I don't I don't understand it. When I was a kid, the Amazon was a jungle. Now people are getting Elaine books from there. May. Anyway. You, morbid curiosity of nothing else. Yes. Certainly. That is option one. Crisis in Six Scenes streaming on Amazon Prime on September 30th. Option two is something that I have already talked about. It is the show Fleabag, also on Amazon Prime. I will read you their description of this. Fleabag is a hilarious and poignant window into the mind of a dry-witted, sexual, angry, grief-riddled woman as she hurls herself at modern living in London. Award-winning playwright Phoebe Waller-Bridge writes and stars as Fleabag, an unfiltered woman trying to heal while rejecting anyone who tries to help her and keeping up her bravado all along. As I said, I really, really enjoy this series. I think it is kind of... It, it feels like such a clear and funny voice. And I think there is plenty to talk about here, especially in how it treats grief. I, I, I think it, it does that very well. And it's got a fantastic lead performance from Phoebe Waller-Bridge. And so on the front of Autorist Television, uh, she does not direct these episodes, but she has written them and stars in them and is so clearly shaped by her sensibility. So that is Fleabag, your option number two, and that is on Amazon Prime. All right. Option number three. I can already hear the people groaning when I say it's a Netflix series because I apparently have a reputation of not liking all of Netflix's series. But again, this is it's only eight episodes and it's 30 minutes of each episode. So we're already on good shape. Practically an indulgent feature. Right. Exactly. It's like a four hour feature. It's already like half as long as some of those other Netflix shows that that I've had trouble getting through. It is easy. 
And this is the new series, which is already available right now on Netflix from Joe Swanberg, filmmaker we have known uh, for a long time. Not really personally, although we've met him, I mean, personally. But I got a Twitter fight with him once. Oh, did you? I don't remember that. I'll tell you about it later. Okay. So, uh, but we've certainly met him and interviewed him many times and, you know, was a, a, a leading figure in the so-called mumblecore movement, although he would never call one of his movies mumblecore. This is a anthology series about romance and love. Eight episodes, each with a different cast, but they're all about romance in some way. And the cast of over the eight, eight episodes includes people like Orlando Bloom, Malin Ackerman, Gugumbatha Raw, Hannibal Burris, Dave Franco, and Mark Marin is the uh, star of one of the episodes with Emily Ratajkowski. Wow. That, I believe, is one of the episodes. Is That is the combination. That is some Woody Allen, Miley Cyrus worthy <laughs> casting right there. Well, perhaps. Who knows? Maybe it is uh, in some no, ways No, just in terms of like unexpected. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I thought you meant sort of the, uh, the, the no, but though, May certainly, and very late December. Certainly there is a few, a decade or t- multiple There's some years between there. the yeah. two, but perhaps it's commenting on that. I don't know. I haven't watched it at all yet. Um, I've seen some good reviews for it, though. Uh, and you know, the nice thing about, uh, an anthology uh, is, especially when they put up all the episodes at once is you could kind of just watch them in your own order. You yeah. could watch, I'm in the mood for the Marin one tonight. I'm in the mood for the Orlando Bloom one or the Malin Ackerman one. I guess that's the same one, but, um, I, I kind of like that. I actually think anthology is a really good, um, is a really good format for streaming because they're all there and you can, you can create your own order. That's kind of cool. Yeah. So that is something worth talking about. Swanberg is some, someone we could talk about and maybe like, what ha- like it's almost 10 years later now so like like mumblecore a look back it could be kind of interesting <laughs> yeah, as well fun. uh so that is option 3 easy the new series from Joe Swanberg which is already available now on Netflix all right well which of these series should we review on the next episode of film spotting streaming video units you can send your pick to svu at filmspottingsvu.com. But why would you do that when you can just enter in the poll on the right-hand side of the page at filmspottingsvu.com? Your vote must be in by Monday, October 3rd at noon. And we will announce the winner on Twitter at our Twitter account, which is at filmspottingsvu. And then you'll have all that week to watch the series before joining us for our conversation on the next episode, which will come out around Tuesday, October 11th. FilmspottingSVU.com is also where you can find our show archive as well as a list of direct links to all the movies we discuss on the show. The Filmspotting SVU theme song is by Vince Vandal. You can listen to more of Vince's work at VinceVandal.Bandcamp.com. We will be back in two weeks. We will have more movie and TV recommendations and the TV review that you pick. But in the meantime, you know what to do. Follow us on Twitter at Allison Wilmore, at Matt Singer. And you can also follow the show at FilmSpottingSVU. That's where we, again, announce the winner of our listeners' choice review and where we share more streaming suggestions, both from ourselves, mostly Allison, and from SVU listeners. You can't get laryngitis on Twitter, which is nice. Uh, don't forget also that live show coming up in yes, Chicago, Chicago on November area 18th. people, please. We would love to see you. Come, Come out on out. Get us. your tickets. And if you haven't done so yet, make sure you leave us a review and give us five stars on iTunes. Uh, I don't know why I'm suddenly talking like this, but it's easier on my voice and it helps us get, uh, get, uh, reach new listeners when you do that. I hope, I hope so. I hope that me talking uh, like Mickey Mouse was the final appeal. <laughs> so for Film Spotting SVU, I'm Matt Singer. And I'm Allison Wilmore. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.